Untitled Beatles Podcast. Welcome to the Untitled Beatles Podcast. My name is Tony Mendoza. And I'm TJ Bad Boy Shanoff. And if you like lipstick traces on a cigarette, if you like Terry Hemmer think it's a great Ringo song, everyone should hear. We're going to talk about it. It's Bad Boy Wednesday. It's fucking Wednesday Tuesday. I can't do the bit. Well, I, so we've had a mix up. I thought we were going to talk about a different uh, album, you know, one called Revolver. <sighs> the most boring album. If listen, if you're a real Beatles fan, one thing's true: you hate Revolver. Yeah, you wish it didn't revolve. You wish it was just you just it just sat there like a rock on your turntable. Because I hate listening to this record. Oh, it's so bad. Three George Harrison songs. Come on, lads. No, it, I, I mean I, I want to say right off the bat, we are talking Revolver today, both the British and the American version. <laughs> And I got to say, because the American version, I'll save my thoughts on that in a moment. Uh, It is, I believe, my favorite Beatles album. As I listen to it, it's just a reminder that, like, let me even put it this way. It may not be my personal favorite album, but I believe if I were, like, teaching a Beatles class, I would call it the greatest album the Beatles ever made is the UK Revolver. I would completely agree with you. And what's funny about that is that it's also not my favorite album. I, I think yeah. it's my second favorite. I, I'm a White Album guy. I thought you were part one of the Hamburg tapes of the Live <laughs> at the Star Club <laughs> earlier conversation. Well, when that waiter sings, it's just my heart flutters. <laughs> <laughs> where have you been? Horst, where have you been? I think his name is Horst. Or Hor- maybe his name is Horst. <laughs> well, they ate Horst. In, anyway, we covered that, if you recall, <laughs> on Christmas Eve. 1962, they ate a horse. They didn't know it, but they're eating horse. Beatles ate a horse. <laughs> so let's uh, let, let's talk Revolver. And, you know, so many things have been said about this album. I, I, I've, I did a huge deep dive. Robert Rodriguez, I don't know if you read the book. He's got a great book, Beatles scholar. Good guy. I've met him a couple times called Revolver. I think how the Beatles changed rock and roll. And I did a deep dive on a bunch of other sites and reviews and and books I read, you know, the anthology and the books I've read for 30 years on this. And the most recent writing seems to say, with all due respect to Sgt. Pepper, which forever was called the Beatles' signature accomplishment, I think critically, Revolver is now looked at even above Abbey Road and now above Pepper is the Beatles' singular achievement. Yes. Yes, my friend. I would totally agree with that. There's no other album that sounds like this that they made or anyone else made. (laughs) You you never heard Duran Duran, Seven and the Ragged Tiger, did you? Oh, what a dick. Oh, what a dick. Four seasons, right? Yeah. Four seasons total landscaping. All right. That that's gonna be so old. Trump later had a press conference in front of Frankie Valley. <laughs> yeah, they went to Frankie Valley. Where is this Frankie Valley? <laughs> and somewhere in New Jersey. Oh God. So uh well yeah, let's just let's do our deep dish on it. Um I'm going to hit you with some facts. It came out August 5th, 1966 in the UK. Came out three days later in the US. This is their seventh British album. The album cover itself is really wild. It's, I think it's my favorite album cover. Yeah, as illustrated by Klaus Vormann, who, of course, was a, a friend of the Beatles in their uh, Hamburg days. Yeah, speaking and, of Hamburg. Speaking of Hamburg, and who later went on to play bass beautifully for so many John Lennon songs in the early 70s. I really dig him, and I really dig what he did here. It took him like two weeks to do it. Those are his line drawings. 
Uh, based on memory, he kind of just drew them by memory. And they're great. Paul's got the profile. They all look like the Beatles. And I love the strange cutouts with the eyes and George's lips. There's something kind of like, something kind of scary about that too, you know, kind of serial killer. <laughs> well, and a lot of this album, I use this term a bunch when talking about the Beatles, and it sounds counterintuitive for someone who loves the Beatles as much as I always have, but the cover's kind of a nightmare. And there's songs on the record that are kind of a nightmare. You know, uh, yeah. uh, Tomorrow Never Knows, She Said, She Said. I mean, there, there are songs that have a nightmarish quality on this album that the cover really... Uh, Tony, I would love, and we've had this conversation before in this podcast, I would love to have been alive and a Beatle fan already in 66, two and a half years after Meet the Beatles came out, this album came out in the States. Th- the change between that kind of colorized with the Beatles cover that Capital first ran with to then jump to, to Revolver must have just shocked people. It must have been, like, if, if you were conservative, I don't mean politically, but like a conservative person, <laughs> you would have looked at this and gone, this is the first, I mean, Rubber Soul, the faces are long, yeah, but this album, it look, the cover looks like an acid trip, which is gorgeous, but what a change for the Beatles in 66. Yeah, it's truly groovy. Ringo's hair looks like spaghetti. And Ringo's spaghetti looks like hair. <laughs> <laughs> I like it thin. <laughs> Vermicelli. <laughs> oh, my Lord. And it looks like it looks like Paul and George did not wash their hair, according to Klaus. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and then the, the photo collage in there. It's also, it's in black and white, which is so funny because this record is so colorful. Yeah. Great point. But I guess Klaus was going against the whole thing of the of that time in 66 when there were, were a lot of more colorful psychedelic things happening, even before Pepper. And actually, there's a Russian pressing of this record, which has a different photo collage. Like an authorized one or like a bootleg one? Or? I think it was a bootleg. I think it was unauthorized. Well, the, the Dave Dexter Russian-produced revolver opens with any time at all and closes with Seamoon. <laughs> <laughs> You were probably humming tunes like Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree, Tangerine, and the Jersey Bounce on your way to work or school. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that. In fact, l- before we go track by track, let me leave with this, Tony, because I grew up on the American Revolver. I have had uh, the Revolver was first standardized around the world in 87 when the CD reaches came out. We've talked about that before. All the American albums have valor and merit, as weird and fucked up Dave Dextry as they are with the extra reverb and the patching songs, but they pulled three incredible John Lennon songs for the Capitol album Yesterday and Today, which was the bridge between Rubber Soul and Revolver. So this is the first Dave Dexterized Beatle album that didn't add extra songs. It just subtracted three songs and three of the seminal songs. So on the American Revolver, there are only two John Lennon songs, and they close each side. She Said, She Said, and Tomorrow Never Knows. On the American Revolver, can you imagine there's no I'm Only Sleeping, there's no Dr. Robert, and there's no And Your Bird Can Sing. It's a whole different experience, and when they reissued the American CDs a couple years ago, Revolver was the most pointless, because once you've heard the one the Beatles intended, who wants to hear Revolver without those three just incredible John Lennon songs? It's, it's the only American release you never need to hear. And the reason they did that was because in June of 66, Capitol still had a bunch of songs, enough songs, leftovers from Help and Rubber Soul and singles and stuff that they could make a whole nother record. And 
in June of 66, those were the three songs available that they could swipe from the forthcoming revolver. So if you bought Yesterday and Today in 66, you got to hear three new Beatles songs before anyone else around the world. So, And in the case of I'm Only Sleeping, a whole different mix. The, the U.S. version of I'm Only Sleeping, I forget if it's the mono or stereo one, has different backwards guitar solos than anywhere else in the world. It's wild. Yeah. And, you know, it's, what's funny is even in, like, in the late 80s when I started becoming a, a Beatle fan, meaning I'm purchasing their stuff, uh, I bought Yesterday and Today on vinyl, you know, like whatever the purple pressing was in the 80s. And then same with Revolver. So that's how I heard them. I heard Revolver as the American version. Me too. And I still liked it, but, uh, yeah, the fact that they didn't have I'm Only Sleeping on there bugged me. <laughs> well, and I, I'm with you, and I, I've had the American Revolver, I think, since 83 or 84, because my pressing's that Rainbow Capital pressing that was big in the early to mid-80s. I mean, just looking at the track listing, it is such a mindfuck. I played this album earlier today. What a mindfuck to go back and hear it and go, Taxman, Eleanor Rigby, Love You Too. How many Beatles albums have two of the first three songs be George Harrison compositions? I think it's the only one, the American Revolver. Oh, yeah. It's just very, very strange. It makes it feel like John Lennon's role was lessened so much, and it makes Tomorrow Never Knows that much more weird because I'm Only Sleeping on Side 1 kind of feels like a druggy prelude to Tomorrow Never Knows at the end of Side 2. Without I'm Only Sleeping, Tomorrow Never Knows feels even more stark. I can't explain it, but that's how I felt listening to the American Revolver today. Yeah, yeah. So I put this record on recently as well while driving across the Mojave Desert I was trying to listen to it with fresh ears and it and it worked and it was great. And I, I got floored. And like you were saying earlier about how you wish you could have been in 66 hearing this record in context, you know, it is wild with fresh ears. This song is so insane, like with the rock of Taxman and then the Indian stuff with Love You Too, the balladry of Here, There and Everywhere and For No One. And then like the psychedelic stuff with She Said, She Said and then. You know, there's children's music on there with the yellow submarine, and then you close it with the, you know, that psychotic <laughs> festival. You know, it's like Coachella or whatever, Burning Man, you know, fucking 50 years before Burning Man, 40, whatever it is. Yeah, this record is insane, man. <laughs> Should we go track by track? And before we do, let's acknowledge that before this record was even released, again, the fucking Beatles, two songs recorded early in the Revolver Sessions. And I think, by the way, Jamal Never Knows was the first song recorded during the Revolver Sessions. But yeah. two songs recorded early on, Paperback Writer and Rain, one of the great, we just did the singles episode, one of the great singles in Beatles history is not even on the album. If you, uh, Paperback Writer is one of their biggest hits. Rain, arguably their most psychedelic song, not even included on the album. The wealth of genius they produced has never, with the possible exception of Cat Stevens' comeback, <laughs> where he's re-recorded albums that were mediocre in 71, the Beatles catalog's never been touched. <laughs> and if I ever lose my legs, we... Don't ask how I know it. I won't have to walk no more. Cat, cheer the fuck up and don't be happy when 9-11 happens, by the way. Remember after 9-11, Cat Stevens was like, well, America's kind of... No, 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 no. 
Don't be happy about 9-11, Cat Stevens. Get back on the peace train. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> where's, where's this going? No, I love it. Anytime that piano happens, I'm on a magic carpet with you, man. <laughs> peace train, holy roller. Celebrate, come on, 9-11, Cat. You don't want to write a 9-11 parody to peace train. Let 10,000 maniacs do that. Oh, Natalie Merchant. <laughs> Let's move back on to Revolver. How about that? But I just wanted to bring up Paperback Writer and Rain, which are seminal and not even on the album. Well, a few facts I'll throw out before we go track yeah. by track. Some working titles for this record were Abracadabra. I think that's what it was going to be, but then some other band beat them to it. And I, I don't know which Steve band. Miller sued him. <laughs> yeah. But- <laughs> Eighty-two. Eighty-two, one of the hits of eighty-two. I think that's an eighty-two. It right? is. That's our next podcast because you and I have <laughs> such weird eighty-two knowledge. Yeah. Uh other titles in the running were Pendulums, Fat Man and Bobby. <laughs> Great Janice Joplin <laughs> tune is what it became. <laughs> uh Ringo had a jokey title called After Geography, which was a play on Aftermath by the Stones. The Stones album, yeah. Yeah. Uh, John suggested Beatles on Safari, which led to Magic Circle, which became Four Sides of the Circle, and then eventually Revolver, which I never got that the joke till many years later that the record revolves and that it's a that's what they meant. I always saw a gun, and I always thought that was really weird, especially you know with the horrible irony that that's how John Lennon was killed by with a revolver. So that aside. Yeah. Um, they wanted to record it in America, yeah. but EMI would not pony up the dough. Not just in America, but I think they wanted to record it in Memphis. I think they were so big. They looked at, at Stax, and they looked at uh, Hit City in, uh, oh, wow. in Detroit. In Detroit, uh, right. In, or, I call it Hit City. I, I believe it's called Hitsville. I want to correct myself before You're I... right. Hitsville, uh, yes. Before I, I'm a Motown expert. They, <laughs> who doesn't love Hit City? With Hit Heights. Ma- uh, Marvin Gaye this- and the Vandellas. I'm what the fuck, just making some <laughs> up at this point. But even Got to Get You Into My Life was was written after Paul saw Stevie Wonder, and they they toured with him. They certainly knew Stevie, but that was inspired by seeing Stevie do a concert in London early in 66. So they really love the Motown sound. And in fact, as we get into this, the miking of maybe not the miking, you're, you're the technical guy. So help me with this. The way Paul's bass was mixed. This album is the most bass heavy Beatles album to date. And those Oh nine remasters really bring it out. And the original mono too. But because Paul was so inspired by, is it Jimmy Jamerson, the great Motown bass player on all those singles. And uh, the bass was finally mixed in a way that Paul could feel like he was replicating Motown sound. Yeah. Uh, this is where Jeff Emmerich steps in. Uh, he went from assistant engineer, got promoted to, uh, after Norman Smith became a producer. And Norman Smith later, later went on to do Piper at the Gates of Dawn, the Pink Floyd's first record, and many other things. Uh, in fact, I think he even had a hit, too. I want to say Norman Smith had his own hit. On Capitol. Hurricane Smith is with us tonight. He's from England. He engineered many of the uh, Beatles albums, and uh, he had an ambition to uh, record his own material. And now at the age of 49, he has uh, got hit singles in England, and uh, Oh Babe, which is on his first album, is a big hit already here. This is his first trip to America. Would you welcome, please, singer, songwriter, Hurricane Smith. Would there suddenly be sunshine? On a cold and rainy day Oh, babe, what 
So this is where Jeff Emmerich comes in, and this is a 20-year-old kid with a great set of ears, and he starts micing things all crazy. And yes, Paul started recording his own bass later on so that they could bump it up in the mix instead of it being mixed with the drums and the guitars and all that. A lot of tracks, Paul's playing piano or something else, and then later overdubs his bass kind of last so that it also, you know, back in the days when you're bouncing stuff, whatever you do most recently is a little louder than the stuff underneath too. It's a, a generation higher. But yeah, so this is where they get into like close miking and well, well, we'll get into all that stuff. Let's uh, a- ADT. ADT is where there's the, the auto automatic double tracking. Uh, this is the first time they got to do that. I'm referring to my home security system. Somebody's <laughs> breaking in. ADT. That's how you. <laughs> oh no, these Apple scruffs are stealing. The, <laughs> Just call for them. The extra Beatles drumhead. <laughs> oh my God! Please, please, sir, please don't take my 1982 UK copy of Real Music. It's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> the souvenir booklet alone with half the photos ripped for Magical Mystery Tour. Don't, don't take it from me. Right. Same fucking booklet. So let, let's get into the album and kind of yeah, talk about some of the production stuff as we go. But uh, kicking off with Taxman, the sound of coughing like they're smoking a joint during George Harrison's weird uh, not in rhythm count off opens this like no other Beatles album and I think no other album ever before. Yeah, it's a it's a kooky opening. I might dispute you. I think it's Paul doing the count in. At least that's what I think I've read. One, two, three, four. <laughs> One, two. You may be right. I think that's him. Um but yeah, it's yeah, it's the weirdest beginning to a record and this and this is a great song. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last week with the uh, political songs, but yeah, it's it's a it's a straight up rock song. You can hear a little bit of the Stax vibe in it to me with the bass line. It's kind of soulful. I love that guitar solo. And that's Paul, right? I think Paul's playing that that guitar solo, which is just wild. It is insane. Yeah, it has moments of kind of atonal, maybe like Eastern things going on towards the end of the solo. Uh, it's so high in the mix. It's it's basically, it's it's a ballsy record. I want to say that's, you know, maybe he was influenced by the birds with Eight Miles High, you know, because they were getting into Coltrane and doing these kind of, you know, stepping stepping out of the scale a little bit with their solos, but... The birds were also getting into Soul Train at the time. They were huge. The birds were huge <laughs> fans of Soul Train. Yeah, I saw them once do the Soul Train scramble. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite breakfast at Denny's. How <laughs> about <laughs> one moons over my hammy, one Soul Train scramble, please, with a net, with a side of Cornelius. And we'd like for you to meet two members of our Soul Train gang. Nona Burleson. Hey, Nona. Mark Moore. Mark, you're both familiar with the Soul Train Scramble Board, right? Right. You have 60 seconds to correctly unscramble the name of the famous recording star or group of recording stars on the board. Okay, you two, see what you can do with that. We're going to see what we can do with this. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I, getting back to Taxman for a second, you're right about the, the, the sound that was being produced in that. Uh, Paul's guitar solo, I feel like that kind of Eastern solo toward the end 
it echoes what he then does at the end of I, I, I Want to Tell You, where he does like a weird kind of, um, this is like Paul being really, yeah. really kind of Eastern influenced on this album, an album that is we're going to get to in a couple tracks, George's Eastern influence with the sitar really comes in, in into full form with maybe his second best Indian song, the first being Inner Light, but we'll get into that after the, this track two on this album, unless you have anything more to say about Taxman. No, that's good. You nailed. I, I was going to say the thing about Paul with the Eastern thing with I want to tell you at the end. Oh, man. Sorry. I didn't mean to steal your No, thunder. it's OK. I'm just I'm saying excited. like I was that to me speaks to why Paul is such a we don't give him enough credit. Like the dude was really especially in this period. He was just hot. He was going out. He was hitting clubs. He was being inspired. And he saw George's influence, you know, with the Eastern thing. And he was totally yes-anding that, you know, as we yeah. say in improv or whatever. So that's where you hear him do this Eastern scale harmony, and I want to tell you, and then that kind of plays into the guitar solo on Taxman, yeah. And then he comes up with Eleanor Rigby. Which, it, this is one that has never been one of my favorite Beatles songs, and yet one that I, I respect and understand why it's so potent. Again, it, hearing it for the first time in 66 probably would have you know, set me back years in terms of being blown away. Uh, over the years, yes, the string arrangement, that kind of psycho-inspired George Martin string <laughs> arrangement. Paul called it Vivaldi-ish. I think George Martin was kind of inspired by those staccato strings that uh, Bernard Herrmann, I think, wrote the score for that. Okay, I don't know. Yeah. I believe so, but it's those powerful strings, which, by the way, one of my complaints about Paul McCartney, and I don't have many, when he does this live, the tempo of Eleanor Rigby live sucks. <laughs> Which direction? I, I don't recall it. Wicks for 10 minutes is going. Yeah. And he goes. He just takes forever. It's slow. I feel like it's just too slow. Part of what keeps that song so great is the tempo. I agree. I agree. Yeah, and this is, again, they were closely mic'd, the strings, to the horror of the musicians, it says in the Lewison book. <laughs> right. Uh, this is a Jeff Emmerich thing. And, uh, yeah, they played without vibrato, you know? They went just straight. There's not a lot of... Well, there's some compression and some limiter going on, but there's no like reverb or anything like that. They're pretty dry. They're just in your face. And yeah, this is where like things like the sequencing of this record are perfect. It goes from this rocking song to this other side of the coin, which is like classical. And we've just and we're just on the second song. Like it it, it shows you like, okay, this isn't gonna be your ordinary rock record. This is gonna be something different. This is gonna be art. Even even the lyrics, Tony. The lyrics are about death and loneliness. I mean, these aren't love songs. It opens with a political song and then goes to a song about death <laughs> on a on a Beatles record in 66. I mean, th that's where we can't overstate the leaps they took. I mean, you know, who was big at the time? The Beach Boys, Love and Spoonful, uh, certainly Bob Dylan, but nobody was as varied in pushing these many boundaries as the Beatles were on just the first two tracks alone on fucking Revolver. It's, it's wild. Fun thing about this, so Eleanor Rigby, according to Paul, I mean, there's a lot of dispute on who wrote this song and this and that. It's a Paul song. John kind of disputed it later in his life, but it, it's Paul with some help from George. I believe he came up with all the lonely people, the chorus, if you want to call it that. Ringo came up with the darning his socks bit, and then Pete Shot and their childhood pal 
came up with the idea for the last verse. John claims that Mal Evans and Neil Aspinall were there, and Paul kind of tossed the song off to the room saying, like, hey, can you guys finish this up for me? <laughs> that pissed John off. John, that was some of the crack showing where John was like, what's his quote? Like, Paul would just toss up songs saying, here, anybody finish this. Yeah, according to John, that's how it went down, but we're not sure. Yeah. I know I know, Paul came up with the first bit of it in that uh, that same basement at Jane Asher's house where they wrote, I want to hold your hand. He was just banging away at E minor on a piano and kind of stayed very Indian again, you know, just stayed in the key and hopped around that chord. But uh, I wanted to say about this song that, oh yeah, the name was taken from Eleanor Braun, who was in Help. And then I guess there was a shop in Bristol called Rigby. But then later... You can go, obviously, in Liverpool to the Woolton Cemetery, and there, lo and behold, is a gravestone that says Eleanor Rigby on it. And uh, Paul and John, I guess, used to sunbathe in the... (laughs) can see that. (laughs) According to the anthology book, that's where they would go to sunbathe, which is... I didn't know the Beatles were so goth. (laughs) Totally were, in their black makeup, listened to a lot of Cure demos. Cure demos had their hairs in devil locks and stuff. John and Paul favorite movie, The Lost Boys. They were huge, <laughs> but it's a groovy song. Uh, one of the the string players, the viola player, Stephen Shingles, said, "I got about five pounds for the session, and it made billions of pounds. And like idiots, we gave them all our ideas for free." Ah, <laughs> oh, Beatles. <laughs> But it's true. I mean, what? Why not? Why not steal from from other musicians? That's the American way. <laughs> yeah, the Beatles were from, Beatles were from Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Everyone knows they're that. Americans. So, so this is um, again not like I'm not putting on a rugby on mixes. I'm not putting on a rugby on on playlists at this point. But I get it, and it's it's incredible. And my favorite version of the song, my favorite mix is the one on the Yellow Submarine song track. Oh. I feel like, th- because Revolver's yet to be remixed. That's the thing. To me, Rubber Soul and Revolver are so, and Magical Mystery Tour are so ready for remixes, but they started with Sgt. Pepper, then went to White Album, uh, you know. Yeah, and, right. Um, so uh, Revolver deserves a remix, and uh, until that happens, the, the master on the song track for Yellow Submarine is my favorite. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. Lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for all the lonely people? Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? But yeah, classic song. Paul, if you're listening, Wicks, speed it the fuck up in concert. (laughs) Next up on the UK version is I'm Only Sleeping. Uh, this has always been one of my favorite songs. And, Me too. Uh, yeah, it's it's simple. It's just like it's just a song about uh, being <laughs> groggy, basically. <laughs> it, it is some of Ringo's best ever drumming because his drumming captures the off meter laziness swing of John's composition. It swings in different ways at different times. The tempo never quite feels grounded. 
it's drowsy and sleepy and restless at the same time. To me, it is one of the masterwork songs composed by John Lennon and performed by the Beatles. I think it is just stunning. I agree. And yeah, when I first, I remember when I first heard that guitar solo, which would have been the yesterday and today version, which I think comes yeah. in later than by like three notes or something. It comes in three notes later than the UK version, mm-hmm. something like that. And honestly, I kind of like it that way too. I like them all, but uh, yeah. And then there's that other version where the, the backwards guitar comes in during the vocal. Yeah. And it's kind of comes in searing during the vocal, which I dig. Yeah, it does swing. I never thought of this song as swinging. I don't know why. It clearly does. But yeah, it's real washy. They got it down. It feels every bit like a drug-induced trip the way Tomorrow Never Knows or A Day in the Life does. I've always connected them only sleeping with John's parts in Day in the Life because it kind of has that... Well, and one of the reasons I love Day in the Life so much on Sgt. Pepper is that, I'm sorry, on the Blue Album for you casual fans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> stop talking so much Pepper. Speak to the common fan. <laughs> like Blue Collar Beatles fan. Um, <laughs> on the next Blue Collar Beatles fan. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I feel like they're kind of druggy, but but pulsating and purposeful. Like that's the beauty of their writing and playing is even the druggy stuff never felt boring or never felt lethargic. A song called I'm Only Sleeping never devolves into lethargy. That swing that they have kind of keeps it propelling. Like I said, it's 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 about as genius as I think they ever got, certainly in their mid-period. And it should be noted, yeah, mentioned earlier, Paul at this time was just absorbing life and clubbing and going out to nightclubs. Baby Seals. before meat free monday paul was clubbing a lot of baby seals (laughs) but john john was in the suburbs in weybridge and was i think he was rather miserable and he was just kind of taking drugs all day and so you see paul being influenced and then john kind of just speaking to what's going on with him he's sleeping and he's on acid and he's you know and it should also be noted that paul has not done acid yet no and apparently so. was uh, driven to some uh, to be ashamed. Uh, I think one of the reasons Robert Rodriguez talks in his book, when we get to She Said, She Said, about Paul storming out of that session. And I think there was, because by then Ringo had tried it too. And of course, John and George had done it. And I think they were kind of shaming Paul a bit. And I think that graded on Paul a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, the next one up is uh, Love You Too. And that's T-O, not T-O-O. Yeah. As in... Uh, yeah, I'll make love to you, which is the song. If you want me to. But love you too, right. I'll make love you too. Uh, anyway, yeah, I don't... I, <laughs> I've gotten it confused since the early 80s, the, the, the title of the song. But I, and I alluded to this before, I, uh, you know, I'm not a huge Within You, Without You fan. Um, uh, I love Inner Light, and I think this is probably my second favorite uh, George Indian song. The clarity of Inner Light is just so... There's something about how beautiful it is, plus hearing it after Lady Madonna and the B-side. Just That's how I always learned it, you know, before the days of past masters. And Inner Light was left off the Hey Jude album, which is just such a stupid oversight, Alan Klein. I'm looking at you. 
It's not on there? No, the Inner Light didn't make its appearance on an album until Rarities in 1980, and then oh, on CD on right. Past That's Masters, right. which is so strange, because right. it's so beautiful and clear, but Love You Too is my second favorite George Indian foray. I agree. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It rocks the most out of the three George Indian pieces. That's probably because there's that fuzz guitar that comes in every now and then on the on the, I don't know what you want to call it, the chorus. Working title for this song was Granny Smith, named after the Apple. Which I think, isn't, isn't the Apple and Apple Records also a Granny Smith? Oh, probably. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know. I'm not an Apple connoisseur. Oh, That's God, a good question. this idiot Tony can't talk Badfinger's <laughs> ass album. <laughs> oh, Tony's some Beatle fan. He doesn't know every Mary Hopkins song. <laughs> no, I don't. I know everything's coming up roses or whatever she did. <laughs> she did one of those songs. Mary Hopkin, <laughs> Ethel Merman. <laughs> Ted Nugent, Ringo Starr's <laughs> star band. <laughs> Featuring Sheila E. as Ethel Merman. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this it's a good song. I dig this song a lot. Uh, yeah, that's George on sitar. Though there's a lot of people online, of course, are arguing about that one. But I like the sitar playing on that song. Uh, there's some people who said, how could George be so proficient after really only picking it up the year before? But then other people will say... Well, George was so careful and studious and loved the instrument so much that why wouldn't it be him? Yeah. You know, I'm not going to put it past George. The, the next song, I believe, is one that Paul McCartney has called the favorite song of his that he wrote. And it was inspired by his favorite song of all time, Everything's Coming Up Roses from Gypsy, <laughs> as performed by Ethel Merman. <laughs> No, um, <laughs> Paul did love his show tunes, and that's why I love me some Paul. No, uh, you know, Paul's favorite song, I think, to date is also my favorite Beach Boy song, God Only Knows, from the Pet Sounds album. Yeah. Um, and Here, There, and Everywhere, much like uh, uh, Long and Winding Road, I think, was kind of Paul trying to write a bridge over troubled water. Oh, that this, makes sense. This was Paul kind of trying to, not trying to rewrite God Only Knows, but being inspired by that pastoral beauty and those harmonies. And I have always been so fascinated by the arrangement of this song, Tony, because there's drums. It's not like yesterday where it's like there, there's it's a ballad and the whole and uh, Ringo's playing along and the Beatles are harmonizing in the background. But it's a pop song that's also a rock song that is also one of the most beautiful songs he ever wrote. Yeah. And it was also one of John's favorites, too. But to love is to need her everywhere Knowing that love is to share Each one believing that love never dies Watching their eyes and hoping I'm always there I need her everywhere And if she's beside me I know Thank you. 
yeah, it's a very pretty song. Yeah, I feel like there's like a either a brush going on with the cymbals or possibly a mallet. There's something really delicate about when Ringo hits the the cymbals and stuff. Uh, it also has kind of an if I fell quality, at least maybe in the intro, you know, how that intro seems to change key, kind of like the way if I fell does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I don't I hadn't heard the finger snapping until like recently. I don't know, did they bring that up in the 2009 mixes? I'm not sure, but I had never heard them snapping. It comes in sporadically at the yeah, end. Yeah, it's so weird. Also, the vocal is sped up, That's, which is something they did on this record a, a few times. Is the term for that Vera speed? Did I make that up? No, that's a that's yeah, that's one way to that's one way okay. to to describe it for sure. Okay. Yeah, I think it, I think a lot of stuff was recorded at. I wrote it down. It's like forty-seven and a half cycles, and I wasn't sure what that meant because it didn't feel like. IPS inches per second. Anyway, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it, you can't tell that it's sped up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like you can hear it in things like when I'm 64. And and mono, she's leaving home. <laughs> I prefer the chipmunks version of she's leaving home. Especially because I love... Wednesday morning, Alvin. I love hearing the screams of the word Alvin. Oh, it's a Christmas <laughs> tradition over here. And uh, and then we go to. I wouldn't know. This is actually not my least favorite song on Revolver, but uh, it's Yellow Submarine. You know, it's I think either you love this song or you're you either hate it, love it or you're just ambivalent about it, which I guess you could say about everything. (laughs) 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 But I fall into the ambivalent category with this. It comes on. I never fast forward through it, so I don't hate it. What do you think of this song? Uh, I think it serves a purpose as part of a greater whole, a greater whole, (laughs) (laughs) but it it, it does. Uh, that's my favorite Jane Austen novel, by the way. Um, it's about a cheese grater. Everybody, everybody be cool. Um, this is another one, Tony, where I wish I could step into 1966 and hear this separated from the movie. Because for anybody born a second or third generation Beatle fan, yes, it's a track on Revolver. Yes, it was a single, uh, but it it it's always associated to me with the film, because the film is to me what ingrained it in the public's conscience, because that's one of their to this day seminal contributions to culture is the Yellow Submarine movie. I mean, my son's uh, four and a half. He's already seen it twice. I mean, it's different because we live in a Beatle household. You know, our, our cat is named Sadie after sexy Sadie. And that's the truth. It really is. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there is a, uh, uh, the, uh, as a track on revolver, I think it is cool that a primarily John written song given to Ringo meant for kids kind of contributes to the spirit of a of an album with so many disparate styles. I will however always think of it as part of the movie and that's what that's where my mind goes when I hear the song. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, mine goes to school. This is a song that we would do like sing-alongs. This and Octopus's Garden, sure. 
ironically or whatever, coincidentally. Ringo songs is what I'm driving at. Yeah, but that, that's what it reminds me. It, it puts me in the mind of like a bunch of kids with rhythm sticks, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which are just sticks that were like colored, primary colors, and you're whacking these sticks together and singing, we all live in a yellow submarine, which is, yeah. that's not a bad memory, you know? It could it could be worse. There's plenty worse songs. Different memory with Ian Drury's Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick, which is a different hit me, hit me, hit me. <laughs> Remember that one? But yeah, so we, we had a similar conversation, I think, last week when we talked in the political show. This song to me is is about socialism. We, we <laughs> yes, all, we, it is. That. We all live in a yellow submarine. We're, we're, we're all part of one greater whole. A greater whole. <laughs> By the way, I heard your lawnmower you named Polythene Pam. Is that true? Well, yeah, but it's 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 so good looking. It looks like a man, so that that's why I did it. <laughs> Oddly enough, I call my bathroom window "Mean Mister Mustard." <laughs> that's good, man. I love it. Um, in addition, there was a, this is something I've never heard. I guess they had recorded an intro for this song where they're t- speaking about like walking down to John's John's O'Groats or some. The northern and mm-hmm. southern t- most points of the UK. And we will march till three the day to see them gathered there. From Land O'Groats to John O'Green, with Stepney do we tread. To see us yellow submarine, we love it. In the town where I was born, lived a man who sailed to sea. And he told us of his life. Brian Jones sings on this, Marianne Faithful, Patty Harrison. Uh, yeah, it's a fun song, and the sound effects are great. I mean, this is, if, for that, you know, this is where they're getting into studio experimentation, and without this song, we probably wouldn't have other developments and other songs, so we kind of need this song, despite whatever you think of it. I, I Despite repeated warnings, I will say um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> tell us how you really feel, Paul. <laughs> Uh, I, the mono version, the first time I heard it, where the guitar comes in with Ringo's voice. Right, right, yeah. Was That's the only way I can hear the song now. The stereo one flummoxes me because I want to hear the guitar at the very beginning. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Uh, then side one closes with She Said, She Said. This is the last song recorded for the album, which is why it's not on Yesterday and Today. Mm-hmm. It's about an acid trip that uh, they took in L.A. I think the birds were there. And Peter Fonda is the she in question, who I guess was coming up to Lennon and saying, I know what it's like to be dead. And Lennon was like, hey, man, I'm trying to have a good time. Get this guy guy out of here, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think he did get ejected from the party or whatever is what I heard. And have you ever seen that movie, The Trip? I haven't. That, I haven't. It's, it's Peter Fonda and the whole, it came out, I think, in 67 or 68, whenever it came out. I actually saw it not too long ago. 
I'm Peter Fonda. We've just finished making a movie dealing with the most talked about subject of the day, LSD. I like this song. It's got great Ringo drumming. Uh, again, this is one similar to Rain where the rhythm track was slowed down. So it sounds muddy and then the vocal is sped up. So it's a little higher. It's uh, playing with your head. Yeah. How does this one rank? The whole song's a playing with your head situation. I mean, there's some. I've never loved, loved this song. This song to me is kind of the equivalent to the last song on Rubber Soul, uh, Run for Your Life, which are interesting. John songs that I get and don't really need to hear a ton of time. Uh, I, I feel like the playing on this, when I was a boy and the tempo changes a bit, yeah. it gets a little sloppy and messy. And I know that's kind of part of it, but what works so well and I'm only sleeping to me kind of works against the song when it gets a little loose. I feel like this one feels without the same inspired direction as I'm only sleeping. Yeah, I was going to say that transition you're talking about in, into the, what do you call it, the middle eight, maybe the when I was a boy part. It's it's a weird transition. It's one of those very strange John Lennon things. It's idiosyncratic, and somehow they make it work. I want to say Matthew Sweet covered this song. Oh, Susie, Susie and the Banshees do it, and <laughs> Terry Hammer plays it every week. It's wonderful. <laughs> well, their transition is not as, as seamless as the Beatles. There's something <laughs> somehow the Beatles get away with that transition, and if you're a cover band, that's a hard one. I think that's a hard one to pull off, dude. I will tell you, Terry Hammer just played Tone Loke's Julia, and oh my god, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> I would love to hear that. <laughs> say one more thing about yeah, she please, said she sorry. said when when Ringo goes into the offbeat bit on the fade out at the end I just mm-hmm. wish he hit it the snare drum one more time just one more time I think he just hits it twice and the Beatles other than maybe hello goodbye never really go into one of those like upbeat it's like a gospel thing where the you coda, take the beat yeah. and then the coda yeah and you, you you up it up into the double time on the on the upbeats uh that's my only Ringo criticism. Hey, Ringo, Tony Mendoza here. <laughs> Go back and hit that. That's next. Uh, but, okay, so the songs with those codas, Ticket to Ride. Um, oh, this, yeah, Ticket to Ride. Hello, Goodbye. Yeah, this the, this song has always just felt a little sloppy, a little druggy. And in the context of the album, yeah, great. But, again, I'm never clamoring to hear this, this song. Now, uh, there's some discussion, and Robert Rodriguez addressed this in his Revolver book, that Paul might not be playing bass on this, that Paul stormed out, and that may not be Paul McCartney playing the bass on this. There's very little proof yeah. as to as to who is playing, but there's a few factors that indicate it might not be Paul. 
I heard it might be George. That's that's what I think I've heard. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I'd like to know more about that. I know very little about that. Everyone talks about the whole, you know, I'll play whatever you want me to play or I won't play at all thing. But this sounds like much more of an actual an actual row, as they say, on yeah. the other side of the pond. Well, that's we, we you and I talk a lot about the first question we'd ask a Beatle. I met Paul, and I wish I could go back and ask him either one or two questions. Did you walk out on She Said, She Said? And tell me more about Rupert the Bear. Once upon a time, there was a young white bear called Rupert. That's all I want to ask Paul McCartney. <laughs> I want to ask John Lennon about Snuggles, the fabric softener bear. <laughs> God, I wish there's so many reasons I wish John were here. Probably, probably the, no, the number one reason. Because a lot of people think John was a bounce guy. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, he was definitely into Snuggles. Um, side two opens up with an upbeat... Sunshiny song. Good day, sunshine. One of my favorites. Yeah. It caters to the Paul McCartney ragtime show tune thing. And I learned recently Paul is playing piano throughout, but that's George Martin doing the solo. I actually did not know that until fairly recently. But Paul's doing piano throughout the song, and George Martin does that cool solo. Got it. Right. And my notes have George Martin on piano, but now that makes more sense because, yeah, it is funny. I just listened to this record, the 2009 version, and on headphones and yeah it's like i can really hear the separation which honestly i I did not find pleasing yeah i'd rather hear the the mono version of that but that said yeah i just heard a very separated piano track and it sounded kind of rudimentary it sounded almost beginner like until that solo that solo is groovy it's so great yeah And, and i think mono versus stereo with this i'm pretty sure in the mono version right before those awesome, one of my favorite parts of the song is in the fade out where the harmonies are popping in in stereo there from every channel, almost like the sun poking behind trees. Good day, sun, good day, which is great. In in mono, it misses the separation, of course, but it's more direct. And where the snare drops out in the stereo version and there's no percussion, in the mono, there's like another bar of Ringo playing uh, the bass drum. And it just serves as like an extra little bit of gas before the run out of the song. Good day, sunshine. 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 Here is, uh, this is one. Paul McCartney complaints. I just mentioned Broad Street. It was not an intentional thing. Paul McCartney covered a bunch of Beatles songs for the Give My Regards to Broad Street soundtrack. Yes. He covered this song. Ringo was in the fucking movie, and he didn't let Ringo play drums on it. <laughs> well, this, it's, it's one of the most unnecessary covers of all time. Well, it's not like they, you know, filming and recording are two different things. They weren't <laughs> done at the same time. I, I get it, but if you look at the movie, Ringo <laughs> plays drums on like Wanderlust and you know ballroom. Oh, okay. Like Ringo's playing okay. drums on enough other stuff. Where like if you're gonna bring it, there's also on that soundtrack. God, I can't wait to watch this movie with you, Tony. 
Um, yeah, we should. Uh, there, uh, this, they do like an eleven-minute version of Eleanor Rigby that then becomes a thing called Eleanor's Dream that is just as boring as my description. It doesn't end. It 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 is it is the the Beatles equivalent of Welcome Back, my friends, to the show. what's that song? Carnival Nine. It is the Beatles Carnival Nine. It just goes fucking on and on. Yeah, we should watch that movie sometime. Yeah, I re- I distinctly remember taping a bit of it off of the TV when they played it on WGN. And when this song kicks in, I think he's in a limousine and he starts daydreaming or something. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's a push in on his face as he's daydreaming. Yeah. But it was it was um inspired by the song Daydream by the Love and Spoonful. Yeah. That's he was right. Trying to write something kind of in that vein. And I, I guess also, and uh, forgive me for, I'm not citing all my sources in this, but I think this is from Robert Rodriguez's book as well. Uh, it was a, such a hot summer of 66 that this was also, for people who lived through that summer, kind of a commentary on an unusually bright, sunny, and hot English summer. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I like that little tape drop you can hear right before the cascading yes. vocals on the fade out. I love that. I love that they kept it in. You know, it's clearly that's like a that's a big mistake. It's a glitch. You hear a giant glitch in the middle of the song, but I love it. I'm glad they kept it. Yeah, it's it. It is one of my favorite Paul songs. This is one he did live on his uh, first tour post Wings in '89, '90, and this was for 14 year old me particularly thrilling to hear him do this song. Bird Can Sing. Such a fun song. On my top three list, if I had to come up with a top three Beatles list, this song, the joy wow. of the... I, I love the joyful songs. I love I love a lot of the later stuff, too, but this kind of... The, the mid-period, uh, mid-period being like Help, Rubber Soul, Revolver, uh, the You Won't See Me, and um, You're Gonna Lose That Girl, and Your Bird Can Sing, these just kind of upbeat, sunshiny pop songs, and that guitar lick... That I think John and Paul are doubling. Who's doubling on the guitar? Who is that? There's a all. Of course, there's always dispute about it, but I believe that it's Paul McCartney and George Harrison. Okay, Paul and George. Yeah, um, I think that's what I'm led to believe. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you there. So Paul and George playing that that guitar solo uh, to open it. It's just joy, and John's voice is great. The harmonies that come in with John and Paul. Yeah. Uh, on the final verse. 
Uh, I think I mentioned this in the show before, but Wilco did an all covers show about six, seven years ago, and they played this as their Beatles entry. And at the end, you hear t- on the bootleg, Tweety's cracking up and goes, you guys want to hear that again? The crowd goes wild. And Jeff Tweedy goes, we worked so hard to learn this song and it's over in, in like two and a half minutes. We got right. we, we have to do it again. And the second time was even better. <laughs> but it's like I love that that's what Wilco chose was this song. And they love playing it so much. They said we have to do it a second time. It was kind of cool. <laughs> I was at a Frogs show at the Empty Bottle where they did the same thing with a song called I've, <laughs> I've Done Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a suitcase full of drugs I can turn you on Would you like to come along? I'd love to come along I've got drugs Where you going on? I've got drugs Can I come around? I've got around? drugs I've I'll got blue. I'll be a dope, dope man. But anyway, that was the Frogs. All this right. Is, who were big Beatles fans. They also did like, they would cover like, uh, you know, Mop Top era Beatles songs too. They were a fucked up band. Yeah, this song, I liked, I've always liked this song. Uh, and, and I always found it insane that John thought of it as a throwaway. You know, to me, it sounds like a lot of work. Those guitar lines and the doubling up and the bass line being so melodic. It's one of Paul's most melodic bass lines. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's some little references to acid and stuff in there. Like when your prized possessions start to weigh you down, that's kind of like an acid thing. Like, you know, you'll take a look around the room if you're tripping and just be like, why do I have this fucking coffee table? It's so stupid. <laughs> Like all this crap I have in my life, I don't need it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've I've uh, I've I've never tripped. Uh, I feel like my window closed. Uh, like I'm at forty six. I don't think I'm going to try it anytime soon. I'm making up for it with legal medical edibles. <laughs> I have to give those a plug whenever I possibly can. Um, yeah, but it's yeah, not th- for everyone. But you know, I I do, I do I do think this is political or whatever. I do think that if everyone did do it like they said in the 60s like there pro- there probably would be less war and less bullshit but yeah. yeah or here's what worries me or more fucking libertarians that's a problem <laughs> with people who do acid once who think they know everything and it's like well you know i'm not against poor people but they got to work too and i'm cool with gay marriage but i don't know about food stamps fuck you <laughs> you know what i, I mean don't know. <laughs> yeah, there might be some more speed in their acid then. Right. Great point. S- <laughs> speed in your acid. <laughs> yeah, th- this one I, I read also might have been a commentary, which I just learned recently too, might have been a commentary on Sinatra. Sinatra had come out with an interview, I think maybe Playboy oh, yeah. or some magazine, where he's like, he's the ultimate man who can get anything he wants. And I think John was like, you know, well, yeah, but when your prized possessions start to wear you down, you know, I, I, I feel like the Sinatra connection makes a little bit of sense. Also on Capitol Records, uh, Big Frank. I also heard that it might be about the Stones, too, with the bird in question being Marianne Faithful. Oh, yeah. You know, this is all speculation. John said it was about nothing, <laughs> you know. Before we move on from this, you mentioned John calling it almost a throwaway. There's a lot of that 1980 John Lennon Playboy interview where he's dismissive of his songs in a quick and casual way that I'll bet had he lived, he wouldn't have been. 
And I know, you know, there's so few times John was asked to go through Beatles songs that you kind of have to take it for what it is because there's no John to ask anymore. But there's a bunch, like, I think he called Eight Days a Week a throwaway. There's just some where I think had he been either in a different frame of mind or had just kind of mellowed out as he got a little older about the Beatles' legacy, I don't think he would have called this incredible song a, a waste. I don't. Yeah, I wonder if he if he had been played it, if he would have it would have conjured up perhaps a different memory. Also, where what you know was this towards the end of the interview? Like he went through basically all their songs. Yeah. in that Playboy interview, so maybe this was I forget where chronologically he discussed it. The but. the interviewer, maybe we should do an episode on this. David Sheff, yeah, who I, I've read that interview book a, a thousand times, I more than any other Beatles book. And I, I'm always like, why are you asking John about love of the loved? Like he starts asking John Lennon about like songs they gave to uh, Peter Asher in like '60. Like, right? Wait, what are you, what are you doing? I don't care what he thinks about you know uh, from a window. You know, I don't right, give a fuck right. about these Billy Kramer songs. I wonder if he was trying to like impress him with his you know with his journalistic cred. Like he, I mean, that's a deep. A, they did this song for. Um, not Kenny Ball, the British Ke- Kenny Loggins. They uh, <laughs> John's last song was writing "Danger Zone" for Top Gun. <laughs> no, but they they wrote some song and gave it to one of those like trad jazz bands. Um, Chris Barber, Chris Barber, and it's a song called "Cat Call." Yes, and I love that song, and it's really hard to find. I, I remember I, I got it off of like Napster or something, and I still haven't seen it, you know, in this crappy MP3 form. But I guess McCartney or somebody wrote it. I love that song, and it's just an instrumental that sounds like Midnight in Moscow or whatever, you know. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Way better than Twelve Bar Original. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So next up is for no one, one of my favorites. I I have not made a, a top ten list in a long time, but this one was on my top ten list for a long time. Yeah, it is like here, there, and everywhere. One of the greatest ballads Paul McCartney ever wrote, and they're both on one album, and it's absolutely wild. Uh, Alan Civil didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it was his third session that day. Uh huh. Yeah, so the story on this is that Paul and George Martin had conspired to have him do this solo, which he kind of wrote 
Alan Civil, based on maybe I think Paul sang him an idea of what he wanted for the solo. And so Alan Civil from the Philharmonic kind of creates this piece, this run, this solo, and they write it out for him and they give him a high F, which is out of the range of the French horn. The French horn can only go to this high E or something. And he sees it notated and is like, you know, this is out of the range. And they're like, we know. And he hits it. And got paid 20 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then Paul asks him if he could do it better. But I think George stepped in and was like, nope. This is what you get. (laughs) You want her. You need her. And yet you don't believe her when she says her love is dead. You think she needs you. Sign of love beyond the tears Cried for no one A love that should have lasted years It is just such such a nice song And it is so Paul In that it's kind of an art song It's not just like a ballad There's almost a formality to it Like that's I've I've Paul McCartney wasn't conservative. Again, I'm not throw the political ideology away for a second. But as John is going crazy with, you know, uh, uh, I'm only sleeping and and George is commenting on on high tax with tax man. Paul's taking these very here, there and everywhere. A love song for no one. This other ballad and they're arranged tastefully but not in a way that felt regressive. They, they felt of its time and of any time. And so much of that's in the, the performance, but that's primarily the writing, I think. These aren't yeah. trite songs. They're gorgeous and, and, and they're stately. They're not progressive, but they're not regressive. They like, like any great Beatles song, they exist in any era in which you put them. Yeah, it's always been one of my favorites. I, I like the sadness about it. You know, it's it's about breaking up and moving on. It's a, it's a sad song, and it's also just Paul and Ringo. Other than Alan Civil, the only two Beatles on it are Paul and Ringo. There's no guitars on it. It's just it's piano, bass, and drums and the French horn. And uh, it it always reminded me of that song "Our House" too, which is was that Crosby, Stills and Nash? I think Madness? our house. <laughs> I like that song too. That's a great one. And also the the show with Wilford Brimley. I, you know, <laughs> Shannon Doherty. I had a crush on For, her. God, was that on Sundays? I feel like yeah. that was always on after Sundays AM. at like six or something. Yeah, like like whatever AFC football game or like Patriots Dolphins or whatever <laughs> Channel Five had, and then our house would come on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're you're referring to this nice one. Yeah, very very very. <laughs> It's a nice... I, I, I like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. It reminds me of that song. Obviously, this one came first. Yeah, interesting. It's it, It's got that same kind of feel. But yeah, this is... 
I don't know what else can be said about this. It's a great song. Alan Civil was, I think, pissed because he wasn't treated the with the respect he thought he was due. But it's one. It's they credited him. You know, they totally did. I'm looking at the record. Yeah, he got one of the few credits ever. You know, for a studio musician. Yeah, not even Clapton got credited on the original White Album and Alan <laughs> right. Civil. That's right. what comes like. Fuck this! I'm gonna fuck your wife, George. You know, <laughs> you don't give me a, a sleeve credit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Goodfellas. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's like people only know that from Goodfellas, and they only know this from the fucking United commercial. Oh, yeah. If you grew up in a certain time, yeah. If you grew up in a certain time, 19, man. what, 88 on that? Best time to grow up. You and me love three <laughs> things. We love chicks, coke, and Reaganomics, right? <laughs> Ch- sorry, cherry coke. Cherry um, coke, dwarf tossing. Garbage <laughs> and human garbage. That's what we're into. 80s, bruh. 80s. 80s might finally be over. All right. So uh <laughs> so my least favorite song is the next one, a John song called Dr. Robert. Meaning on Revolver. This is not my least favorite Beatles song. So that's interesting because I've always liked the song, and this song I grew up knowing as one on yesterday and today. Right, um, right. Which is so weird because it comes real quick interstitial. Yesterday and today opens with Drive My Car Like Rubber Soul, then goes to I'm Only Sleeping, Nowhere Man, Dr. Robert, Yesterday, and Act Naturally. Yeah, and it all, like, when it, when it's all you know, because it's the Beatles, it works. <laughs> Side two opens with Andrew Bird can sing, If I Needed Someone, We Can Work It Out, What Goes On in Day Tripper. Like, before we knew about British Revolver and British Rubber Soul and British Help, this album was fucking amazing. <laughs> this random, assorted, you know, odds and sods. But yeah. at any rate, so Dr. Robert, not one of your favorites. It's I, I, I think it's a good tune. It's, you know, written based on, I believe, a Manhattan uh, dentist. Manhattan or L.A.? Where is he from one of the it's coasts? New York. Like a, it's like a, a, like a lib. Yeah, I thought it was Manhattan. Charles Roberts, who had a practice on 48th Street. That a lot of celebrities went to because he'd give like, you know, uh, like B12 shots with Demerol, I think, or Speed or something. <laughs> right. Um, but at, at any rate, uh, it's kind of like an ode to his dealer, basically, is what the song was. I love the breakdown. The well, 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 you're feeling fine. Those harmonies are great. I've always loved that hook. So yeah, so but uh, Dr. Robert, a comparatively minor song in the in an otherwise non-minor album. Yeah, I believe Paul came up with the national health verse, according to John, which that which I always liked. It's like, oh, I can hear the Paul in this song. You know, where did John need some help? It's verse three or whatever. My friend works for the national, national health. health. Great line. He'll pay money just to see himself. Like it's it's it, it's a great verse. It's a great line. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. As far as Beatles songs go, it's not my favorite, but I like Beatles songs, so I'm not going to. All right. Tony gives uh, Dr. Robert zero fabs. (laughs) Moving on. Dude, he loved Cry for a Shadow and Ain't She Sweet. (laughs) I do like Cry for a Shadow. It's the only, um, I think, Lennon and Harrison composition. I think it just credited to Lennon Harrison. Yeah, it's which, a good song. Which man. is pretty cool. It is a good song. So the next song is another great George Harrison song. 
that has another kind of weird fade in. It's dissonant. It's dark. And I love it because of it. I I want to tell you is next on this. And it's like Ringo's drums are in your face. The mix is great. Yeah. It's a little druggy, too. It's caustic. It is just a perfect George Harrison song of this era. Yeah, that discordant thing is, I, I picked up a guitar this week to play it, and it's like it goes A to B to E7, and that's where I always hear the piano comes in with the yeah. and it always sounded really discordant to me. And also, there's some dispute, of course, on the internet about this, but they're, the backing harmonies on this are a little off. They're a little off-key. I think they're playing with the, the dissonance and all that. Uh, I don't know if that's by design or what. They're dark and out of key because I think it's only a northern song. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, right. I mean, that's what um, Lewison said in the book when he talked about this song was that it seemed like whenever they worked on George's stuff, they'd kind of rush it. You know, they'd be like, "Okay, we only have so much time for George's thing. And maybe that's why the harmonies are slightly off key on this song. But I've always liked this song. Yeah, I think the harmonies being off key are almost what makes it what makes it so interesting. It's like if the harmonies in Yes, It Is were perfect, it would ruin the song for me. Some of the weird dissonance that creeps up in Yes, It Is is another thing, too. It elevates the song because of its Im- its purposeful imperfections. Yep. And I feel the same way uh, about this one. It just, it, it's, it's just a neat George song. Is there any other Beatles album that has three George songs on it? Well, the White Album, The White right? Album okay. doesn't count because that's, yeah. four, that's four sides. But as far as an A and a B side, is there any other one that... I mean, Help Has, I Need You... And you like me too much. Yep. And that's it. And then um, I think there's just there's two on Rubber Soul with If I Needed Someone and Think for Yourself. Um, yeah. The, I, yeah. And then White Album's got more. But um, yeah, he only had he only had the two on Let It Be, right? I Mean Mine and For You Blue. For you Blue, yeah. Something in Here Comes the Sun, which are two of the standout songs on that album. And what does it say about Abbey Road when two of the very best songs are George songs? Yeah, and then one on Sgt. Pepper and one on Magical Mystery Tour. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it, man. Yeah, so yeah, and it, and and that the record opens with with a George song is pretty wild. It's this record is great, man. This uh and that goes into it and it feels like it's in the same key got to get you in my life into my life. Uh to me it feels like it's in in the same key. I'm not sure. They're close. They're close. Well, I get the I get the feeling that they're connected. I feel like that. I want to tell you it's an A. Yeah, it's and an I a. feel like it's got to get into my life in G. Am I making that up? You might be right. I've I've, I've always played it in G, but I, I could be wrong. You might be right. It might be another thing too, where it's between the cracks, like you know, where they sped it up or whatever, and it's between A and G or something, but. 
I guess what I'm driving at is that there's the sequencing of this album is such a role. I've never tried it's to perfect. listen to it in any other order. I should to see what that would be like, but I think they got this album down perfect the way it's set up. I just love the way it goes into the fade in, fade out of Want to Hold Your Hand into the bombast that just hits you right off the top with Gotta Get You Into My Life. I think you said I Want to Hold Your Hand, which on the Dave Dexter version of this is <laughs> there. Dude, Whoops. Is, that, oh, one thing I, I love in the Dave, De- Dave Dexter fantasy revolver goes from Tomorrow Never Knows into Slow Down. <laughs> now junior behave yourself whoa yeah so this song is about pot yeah gotta get you into my life and he was just saying like you know what man this is a choice i'm doing right now and i like it and it feels good and it's like it's yeah it's not being ashamed of drugs and drugs aren't a crutch it's this thing where it's you're just declaring that i'm going to explore this it it is allowing me to see things in a different way. And here we go. And it's great. There's no other Beatles song that sounds like this one at all. No, it is, it, it's a perfect testament to how the Beatles, their love of black music, Paul McCartney's especially, manifested itself in an authentic sounding Motown sound that, and excuse my bias, Tony, it never feels ripped off. This song doesn't sound like the Beatles were ripping off black music. It sounds like it was... It, it had taken over their souls. It's also the first Beatles record to use a full horn section. Yeah. And those horns are great. He wanted to write a Motown song. Like I mentioned earlier, I think after seeing Stevie Wonder in London in the in early 66. And he did. And the playing is incredible. His vocals are incredible. And this is one where I would say you have to hear this one in mono because there's an extra 30 seconds of a run out where Paul is scatting and the horns are going crazy that for some reason is edited out of the stereo mix of this. And it's one I didn't really know until the 2000s or the first time I got my hands like a mono copy a revolver from the 60s. Like, I don't know when it was, certainly not when I was a kid, but it was I was yeah. old enough where it just changed how I heard the song. And actually, the mono of this make the horns sound more like a Motown record because it's all so direct. The rhythm and the horns and the singing are all in your face at the same time. It sounds like it was meant to be a 45, not one released in 76 that was only an A-side because the B-side inspired Charles Manson to kill people. <laughs> right. Referring to the rock and roll single. <laughs> right. right, right. Yeah, this, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, this this feels like it could be a, a single um, if, if they had done that kind of a thing, which they technically did with Eleanor Rigby, Yellow Submarine. Yeah. yeah, they did up this album, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, this is great. Uh, some of those horn players came from Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames. Um, I want to say Paul met them. Again, he's going to clubs like the Bag of Nails, and these, these, he's just going out, and he's socializing, and he's meeting people, and he's absorbing music. He's probably seeing Jimi Hendrix playing, right? Like, he was getting the experience going on around this time. And, uh, yeah, just being blown away by new sounds and bringing them to the 
to, to his place of work, Abbey Road, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, great song. Love this song. John liked it, too. He was doing all this while arguing with Jane Asher, apparently. Yeah. You know, there yeah. was a lot of... Paul might not have been a great boyfriend or husband. To No, he didn't no. ever get married. No. He was just a boyfriend, yeah. Right, right. Right, but she was, but but to Jane's credit, she was also her own thing too. Like that was the deal yeah. with them was that she's like, I'm going to be an actor. I'm not going to be washing your clothes or whatever. So, you know, she was beautiful. I, I had a I went through a, a Jane Asher crush phase in my twenties. Uh, Is that and, right? Yeah, she's beautiful. I'll bet. Take take nothing away from Linda, but J- Jane Asher was just gorgeous. I think. I think Paul needed someone who was more invested in everything he was. You know, for yeah. all the shit John took about Yoko, it's the same thing with Paul. Paul. One of Paul's three best albums is credited to Paul and Linda McCartney. Yeah. Ram, you, know? you mean, right? Yeah, Ram. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think we got to be careful. And I know we've all backed off the giving Yoko a hard time thing. She really endeared herself when she did a guest spot. I'm mad about you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all you got to do is be on screen with Paul Reiser and, hey, I like you. Um, Did that happen, or are you doing a yeah, bit? Oh, I know, I don't know that on, one. Like, she, Yoko was either on uh, Mad About You or or Friends or on, you know, one of those '90s New York comedies. news radio. She's on, like, what, she was on Susan. one of those shows. Right? <laughs> Suddenly, Susan. I don't know why they didn't use that. Um, yeah, I, it, this is one of my favorite songs. It, in fact, inspired, as you know, one of my favorite Beatles covers. I think that Earth, Wind, and Fire cover of this, like we talked about in the Sgt. Pepper recap. It's just, I know you don't <laughs> like it. I think it's banging. I love it because it's two of my favorite things, soul and yacht rock combined. <laughs> That's why I like it's Earth, jazz Wind, and Fire. It's too much jazz hands for me. It's like George Benson on more coke. Not to be confused with Robert Guillaume's Benson, who I don't believe ever used coke. <laughs> Great un- underrated show spin off from soap. Boy, I hope our listeners are in their 60s. So, yeah, one of my favorites uh, uh Paul doing this live, he opened with this I think on that Last Wings uh, performance in Glasgow. Was it Glasgow before Wings just before he got arrested in 79? Okay, I'm not sure. Mid- uh, it was either this or the concert concert for um, Campuchia. I might get the name wrong. But he opened with this, having never done it live with a horn section, and you could feel the excitement of him singing the song. Uh, and this song was released as a single in 76 for the Rock and Roll Music album. It yeah. did fairly well on the charts, not like, I think, maybe top 20 um, from the Rock and Roll Music album. So it was belatedly a single. But yeah, this song's one of my favorites. Paul still does it live and kills it. It's written great, it's performed great, and you gotta hear it in mono. Then we get to the album Closer, which is the first song recorded for the album, and it was originally called Mark One, and it became known as, thanks to Ringo, Tomorrow Never Knows. Uh, this is definitely one of my top top five favorite Beatles songs, if not top three, I don't know. We'll, we'll do that one of these days. Yeah. I want to say, let's do a top 11, because we always want to add one more. We'll have to, and then we'll go back and listen to all our shows and realize none of the ones we've called our favorites are going to wind up on the list. That's the best thing about <laughs> yeah. being a Beatle nerd. <laughs> yeah, I love this song. I've always loved it. I think the first time I ever heard it, I was probably 14, and again, this is on the American version of the record on a on vinyl, I think I bought it on vinyl first before I bought it on cassette and all that, and then eventually CD. But this song blew me away, and it still does. I still think this song could be put out today, and you would it would still sound fresh and new. I think it's the only song the Beatles 
have that would still sound like you could put it out in current day? Uh, free as a bird. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Okay. There's so much to say about this song, but also so much that's already been said. Uh the drums on it are amazing. This is, again, this is the Jeff Emmerich thing where he's getting the bass drum sound to be huge by putting that microphone into the bass drum. And I, I guess he stuffed like a jumper or something into the bass drum to give it that, uh, so there'd be less resonance on it. So it's real thuddy. And of course, everything's going through limiters and compressors. It's a big drum sound and it's a wild drum beat. Yeah. Never heard any other song that has this drum beat. Ringo's <laughs> playing is incredible. I want to say there's no fills either, isn't it? Just I think it's just that beat. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's just that beat. It's just in C. There's a little bit of. B flat going on, but I think mm-hmm. bass still stays in C. It's got all those crazy sound effects. That seagull sound effect, which is my favorite on the whole thing, it comes yeah. in perfectly timing wise. But like, I, I want to know what that is. I've heard that it's a distorted guitar, but I've also heard that it's Paul McCartney laughing. Maybe it's a combination of the two. I don't know, but it sounds like a seagull. But clearly, if it was a seagull sound effect, they would have said, it's a seagull sound effect. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. There's there's many theories about what that is online. But uh, the way the the backwards tape loops make so much sense is what, to me, is so astonishing about the song, is the chaos makes sense. There's so yeah. much happening as John's kind of, and he recorded that laying on his back, right? I mean, it, that was... I think that was, I'm so tired, I want to say. Okay, okay. I'm going to... I want to... I'm thinking that you're thinking of his original idea, which was that he was going to be suspended by a rope and pushed around the studio while singing the song, like, over over a microphone. Right, <laughs> right okay, okay. <laughs> so what everyone hears uh, when they talk about the song is, you know, one of my favorite Beatle lines is, it's his Tibetan Book of the Dead period. Yeah, yeah. Which which I've always just loved. <laughs> and they were going to, uh, they mic'd him up and he delivered the song and the song was recorded and mixed in a way that really felt like he was screaming off the top of the Himalayas. Yeah, the lyrics are are about kind of meditating. You could also see it as a way of like preparing yourself to die as well. Yeah, turn off your mind, relax and float downstream. Yeah, and obviously there's an acid quality to it and like listen to the color of your dreams and all that stuff, you know, with all the, the hallucinations that he'd been experiencing that year. Yeah. So the first verse was done. I believe he double tracked it. They did not do ADT on that. He did a, a manual double tracking. And then for the second verse, after those guitar solos and stuff, uh, his voice is put through a Leslie speaker, um, which they had to like bust into the circuitry. Uggums. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what? It was put through a Leslie speaker. They brought in Leslie Uggams. Oh. <laughs> I thought you had a stroke. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> Here's the thing. Yes. <laughs> Uggams. Uh. <laughs> 
that's for those of you who don't know, Tony and I off air have these cute little nicknames for each other. He's my Will Uggams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and your little Towelsy. <laughs> Which I don't know. I don't know. I'm just making shit up. Uggams and Towelsy on BBC Four. We- <laughs> Oh, Lord. Well, they put his vocal through a Leslie speaker, which is the revolving device that is used in Hammond organs. They had to break into the circuitry to do that, and it created this wild thing. I believe they double-tracked that as well to get two different oscillating things, and that's what creates that thin, tinny, sounds like you're on top of a hill hilltop sound. Uh, and that was something new to do with vocals. However... If you listen to the Ventures song Slaughter on 10th Avenue, which came out in 1964, it's my favorite Ventures song. They have a sax solo on there that I believe was put through a Leslie speaker. It doesn't sound like a sax. It sounds it sounds like a space instrument, you know? Yeah, I love I love this I love this song. It, I've always loved it. That's Paul McCartney doing the solos again. Mm-hmm. I think my I think my all my favorite Beatles guitar solos are Paul. Man, oh that's a that let's let's do a whole show on favorite Beatles guitar solos because that does yeah. So okay, it is one of your very favorite Beatles songs. It is a song that I love and admire, and I got into very late because middle school me this I hated the song. I this song you hated it. This song scared me at 11, 12, 13. Wasn't until the CD came out in 87 that I was able to kind of understand it more in the context of the album, but I still didn't didn't love it. Probably college era me getting back into Revolver again after some years of not doing it um made me love this song. But I would I was not early to Tomorrow Never Knows in my Beatling. This song uh, and a lot of the White albums scared the shit out of me as a kid getting into the Beatles. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there is a darkness about it. Like with the, there's kind of a an ominous quality to those. I think it's a mellotron or something. It's kind of. It sounds like a an orchestra that kind of like seeps into the song, like like it's hovers around. Yeah, I could definitely see a childlike mind getting freaked out by by this not only this song but also yeah elements of the White Album. Well, and and this especially coming after the Joy got got to you into my life, which sounds like a radio single at any point in the '60s. Sounds like you would have heard on Magic 104, you know, and you, you probably did. <laughs> Trying to know just spooked me. I didn't I didn't have the the intellectual capacity I think as a young Beatle fan to really get it, and that kind of tainted how I 
listen to Revolver for a while. It wasn't till, like I said, I think college where I was like, okay, now I understand why this is great and it doesn't give me nightmares that my house is burning down, which is how I felt. Tomorrow <sighs> Never Knows, oh, yeah. Revolution Number 9, and the movie Hair sure. all gave me nightmares that our house was burning down. That and the episode of Webster where his house did burn down. <laughs> But yeah, so this I, I, I've learned, and one of the things about the song, the the if you, for those who watch Mad Men, Matthew Weiner, the the showrunner, paid a quarter of a million dollars to use this song in a scene to kind of signify how regressive Don Draper is. Yeah, but it's this song that they chose to show how he'd lost track of the '60s, and I'm not like I haven't seen every Mad Men, but I've seen enough to understand what was going on then, and um, beautifully used in a show a decade ago. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know they paid a quarter of a million for that. Yeah. That's wild. That's wild. They could have paid $25,000 for Bad Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I keep mentioning the Larry Williams song. I apologize, Larry Williams. <laughs> well, I mean, what can we say? It's, uh, I, would, I would say it's my second favorite Beatles album, but I do think it's their best. I think this is their best album. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. And... I'm still probably more of a rubber soul guy. And I think rubber soul, especially the American rubber soul, if I, it's so tricky because I know we could go back and listen to other episodes and we both say all kinds of different shit. But at this moment in time and for most of my life, that U.S. rubber soul has been my all time favorite. Interesting. Revolver is in my, is in my top three. Uh, but I think if somebody were to say, what's the Beatles signature accomplishment, it's the Revolver album. I, I don't think any bands ever even approached what this was. And unlike Sgt. Pepper, none of it ever feels a little too too theatrical or too cute yeah. or too calculated. Sgt. Pepper has that... Uh, Sgt. Pepper, brilliant and glorious album, but it's got a veneer that Revolver doesn't have. And I think Revolver's all the better for it. Totally, man. Well, try and give it a spin with fresh ears. It's it's fun. It's fun to do. You know, you've probably heard these songs a billion times, but I was able to somehow conjure up a, f- a fresh-eared version the other the other week while driving through the Mojave. Maybe you just got to drive through the Mojave, man. Everyone do it. <laughs> Back to acid. <laughs> yeah, man. Drop some acid in Ludlow, and it's going to kick in around Amboy, and oh, boy. Yeah. Hem- for those of you who are younger listeners out there, do not take him seriously. Study hard, uh, play organized sports, and vote Republican. <laughs> well, I, I I think next week we are touching on Ringo's Bad Boy, not the not the Larry Williams song, but uh, Ringo's Bad Boy. Yeah, the question is, if you have to pick one woman or who needs a heart, I think we know which way I'm going. <laughs> By the way, woman, the Gary Puckett and the Union Gap version. <laughs> yeah, woman, the oh, woman. Remember that one? Every song was about statutory rape for poor Gary Puckett. Poor, poor Gary Puckett. <laughs> poor Gary Puckett's fans. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. 